I started on a mission to update the church, to play hipper music, to create more relevant environments with the purpose of maybe, hey, if we updated it, maybe, you know, more people will come, right? Welcome to Chew On This, a show that delves into the secrets of successful communication. I'm Danella, and I'm excited to be your host. Over the years, I've met some really interesting people who do things in very special ways. I've invited them to chat with me about how they lay the foundations for trust, create strong and lasting connections, and even build a loyal following. As they share their journeys, we pick up nuggets of wisdom and practical advice. Listening to them will inspire you to transform your own approach to communication. I hope you brought your appetite. Here we go. In this episode, I have a chat with Babo Barwani, who, at a very young age, found shelter and belonging in an evangelical church. He shares how much security this gave him and how vulnerability allowed him to be the kind of pastor he was proud of. As an adult, he's used music and food to reach out, connect, and gather people. Let's hear more from Bebel. I actually wanted to start by talking about something you posted today. Oh. You had written this. Uh, I'm right. going to read it out loud. Okay. This was on Instagram. So since the age of 12, so that makes 36 years, I have served the local church. It was like and is, I guess, being in the service industry. So from the ages of 14 to 21, I literally only missed playing music for church three times. And it was a two sting concerts and a Chikoria yeah. concert, uh, which were all worked out months in advance. In 36 years, I've never missed a Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, a New yeah. Year's Eve, Holy Week, Easter, where I wasn't either playing music or preaching. If it was a holy day, I was there. Last October, we had to come to terms that it was time to close our little church community. It was painful, but also exciting. It was weird to have gone through a November without prepping for an Advent series, but I must say it was a good weird. These days, this is the only church structure my shadow darkens. St. John the Baptist Church in San Juan. You've got to admit she is a beauty. We pass by it once a day when we walk the dogs. I am excited to be in a season where the sunsets, the waves, the stars make up the cathedral where my fellow migrants in this little surf town, together with the locals who have welcomed us, they are my brothers and sisters. I am excited to experience God in places I didn't think to look before. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, preparing for this chat, I thought it was, it was a great time that you posted that. And can you just maybe give us a bit of a background? Oh, sure. So, you know, I am Indian, born and raised in Manila, of Indian descent. But we were, I guess, non-practicing Hindus <laughs> growing up. And I'm the youngest of four siblings. And um, in family, life was tough. My dad was definitely, like, he came from India. So he was definitely from a different culture than us. And also, he kind of struggled with the bottle, struggled with alcoholism. And that kind of, I guess, primed us to search for, for something, you know? And my sister eventually, like we all grew up in Catholic school anyway, so like pivoting to Christianity was was natural. And yeah, so she uh, came into like an evangelical Pentecostal church, and eventually yeah, she she wrote all of us in. <laughs> you know, okay. I came to church when I was twelve years old, and um, 
you know, it's a great place. It was, you know, if you're coming from some kind of a, a broken family situation in that you have these issues of a father that's struggling with alcoholism, the home, it's not a safe place, right? Like I remember coming home and from school and just, you know, depending on, um, the sounds that you hear on the other side, like that would cause anxiety for what version of your dad you're going to get that day, right? And so coming to church and hearing things like, you know, Jesus loves you and, and everyone there is warm and then and, and just accepting, that was irresistible, right? That was an irres- irresistible thing. So, I, so since then, I, I just kind of grew up in the church. I gave my heart, I gave myself wholeheartedly to it. And uh, yeah, it's just became part of the church band that's where i learned how to play music uh and of course like everyone that i was growing up with that i looked up to was either in ministry or a pastor so it's again organic for me to, to at least imagine myself as as one of them and also my sister eventually like you know went to seminary got a master's in theology and and like she's a pastor too uh, her and her husband so it was very kind of just in the periphery organic was there I kind of let go of wanting to be a pastor at some point. I wanted to become a musician. That was the track I was on. And tried a career in music, took it as far as I could. And then I think eventually when that was, when that was done, then just, you know, pastoring and, and playing music in church, which is how I entered into pastoring, uh, was just the natural track. Right? So, what structure does the church provide to get people like, active? Um, I came from what would you call a, a mega church, right? It's a few thousand people. It okay. was like it's a large church that grew in the charismatic movement in the eighties, and definitely. So they had everything. They had they had arts, they had music, they had things for kids. Every age group that you felt like you needed to belong to, you know, the diff- different phases of life, they had it. You know, and yeah, so just it was instant community uh, where it was hard to find elsewhere, right? So. I think that what, that's what church, for all of its faults, right? Like, that's what it does well. When I think about public spaces that provide connection, there aren't uh, a lot around, you know, where that, it, that's what it's designed for. It's designed to get you to sit on a table and, and, and share life, right? So, yeah. So I also grew up Catholic. Yeah. Uh, and we had a parish church and there was a community center and things uh-huh. like that. I mean... The church that you grew up in and with, like, was it much bigger uh, than your regular church in the Philippines? It, it was definitely like, so you had like the big events, like the big Sunday gatherings where you saw everyone. It was like a 2000 seater wow. thing, right? And they packed it. It was like multiple services too. So that was kind of exciting to be part of, like, you, you know, to see that it was larger than, than who you were. But I'd say, you know, because I, I, I did end up working for the church, I'd say, if the church is doing about 10% of who shows up on a Sunday to get them to come on other days, mm-hmm. like to get them to come to Bible study, or bring, that's pretty good. Okay. So, so you have like the big crowd that shows up and then you have like a percentage, percentage of that that will actually you know be active. So if you're looking at a church that's 5,000 members, right? 10, 20% of that, that's still pretty good. Who, mm-hmm. pe- people that show up, you know, whose kids show up. Um, so there's, there's enough for a vibrant community. Right. Yeah. So you have a a particular, if not you know, not uncommon, but particular reason that that drew you, right? But yeah. For people who maybe don't have as troubled, you know, an yeah. entry point yeah, into yeah, the yeah, church, yeah. what was what's the draw? Huh. 
I think it, it, it is a sense of belongingness. Like, you know, we're all looking for that in one way or another, right? And the, the church does a good job at that. Like, it provides a common language, a common experience. Um, you know, rituals have that too, that, you know, when you're participating in something that's regular. Um, it's definitely what church has is the structure, mm-hmm. right? Whereas we would maybe look for belongingness if we did it organically we probably wouldn't do it as regularly. It's, we would do it as we need. Okay. Oh, I feel lonely today. I think I'm going to reach out to someone, right? But church provides a structure where you can turn that switch off and autopilot and go, oh, I'm going to go on Sunday and mm-hmm. I want to meet people there. It provides that structure. Yeah. So you had mentioned you started with your music yeah. and the church, and then that was your entryway into becoming a pastor. Can you tell us a bit more about that journey? Huh. Okay. So there's a lot of emphasis on like sharing your faith in like evangelical circles, right? Like you got to sh- bring in your friends and all of that. And, and I think at some point I just figured out that the church had been so archaic in its form that there's no way I'm going to get any of my friends to come here. Right? So <laughs> I, I was, I guess I started on a mission to update the church. Okay. To, to play hipper music, to create more relevant environments with the purpose of maybe, hey, if we updated it, maybe, you know, more people will come, right? Again, I came to faith when I was 12. So this is before the age of um, any kind of critical analysis, right? Mm -hmm. So you're there because of the belongingness. Okay. But then something happens, like you're there for the belongingness, but then all of a sudden... It's like, oh, but we're teaching you absolute truths about life. So it switches from, it's not just a belongingness thing. It's about, it's a worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you're getting this at 12 and you're getting it from people that you admire and, and respect, I mean, there's going to be very little pushback, right? Uh, there's going to be, yeah, like if I want a relationship with God and so let me know what's next, right? Like, and yeah. tell me, like, and I'll inhale that in. <laughs> And of course, you, you grow up, right? And in my case, I think music kind of saved me, I think. Uh, I, I started playing secular music. So I was both in both worlds. I had like this church world and I had like this other thing going on. And I think that secular world and the arts itself, listening to lyrics, listening to music, was providing a way for me to live a different life as well, to see a, another point of view. And so I think early on, before I could articulate what was going on, you know, as I was still in my teens, I did feel like uh, there's stuff about the worldview that I'm not sure about. But obviously, like, because the connection is so strong to belongingness, you dare not ask, right? Because okay. like, right? if you challenge someone, if you ask some of these questions, then are you also not challenging your own experience? Mm-hmm. And what, do I, what do I do with God then? If it's you know, all, of that, all of that, that which you hold dear, right? But I guess music had planted that deep into me that at, at the right time and with the right environment, those questions kept coming back. You yeah. had mentioned, uh, you had yeah. mentioned the charisma also, like, again, like, can you tell me more about how do they yeah. do that? <laughs> <laughs> so I think so both traditions, right? You have, you have a Catholic tradition, which has its own genius about it. I think what, what Catholicism has done successfully is that it's made it bigger than any one personality. So if, you were, if you're a Catholic and you wake up anywhere in the world, you're not thinking about, 
okay, I'm going to go to church somewhere. You're not thinking about checking who's playing music. You're not thinking about who's preaching. Okay. Right? Like, uh-huh. you're going, if, you, if you happen to wake up in some province and you go, it's a Sunday, I think I'm going to go to Mass. You're not checking who, who the priest is, right? You're yeah. Just, so I think the Catholic Church has done such a great job at making it bigger than any one person. And it's because it's the rituals, it's the, it's the participation, and, and I, th- I think it's, it's why it endures, right? Whereas in kind of like evangelical world, on the onset, because it doesn't rely heavily on rituals, it, it relies on explanation and, and life, you know, application, you know. So I think the communication side, at least what I experienced, I found it was more engaging. It was willing to to do newer things like play hipper music or like, you know, it was willing to adjust to what the culture, where the culture was at quicker. So I think that's what kind of like the evangelical Protestant world, you know, uh, but again, it is kind of limited to, it's not, it doesn't have that larger in life quality that if your favorite preacher's not there and you're going, maybe I'll not, I'll not show up today. Like, you know, like okay. stuff like that. Like it's, it relied heavily on, on personality. Okay. But they had personality. Yeah. You know, they could feel it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So. So tell us more about how you were able to convince those in charge or who you had to convince about playing this hipper music to attract your friends and how that worked out. So the, the, the church that I, I, I came from, they, they are already were, they already believed in that, right? Because they, they too came from more kind of like, conservative environment so they they had their revolutions as well where they you know came from hymns and just an organ and then you know when i by the time i got there there was actually drums and a band you know mm-hmm. it wasn't as big of a, a deal to kind of like hey okay we already have the band we just need to kind of bring it instead of the, the 20s polka music <laughs> how about we at least hit the 70s you know like uh so it, it, it wasn't a bit of, big of a stretch because they already believed in trying to be relevant to the culture to some extent, you know. One more thing you mentioned about that practical life application. Yeah. So how did that, again, being raised Catholic, I've attended a few services that are non-Catholic. Yeah. uh, And that's also why I love them because they just made so much more sense to me as a person, but maybe because also of the structure of an evangelical church, like, The pastors are people, are married, are, Absolutely, you know, have yeah. families and things like that. So how do they train you to, okay, so going back, going into your uh-huh. becoming a pastor, like how yeah. do you learn to communicate with your community and, you know, write your sermons and things like that? Huh. A lot of that is osmosis, right? Like a lot of that is you have your, you know, they would say your d- disciple or the one that kind of, you know, your, your father figure. And, and I did have those. And I had elder brother figures um, that I really looked up to. And they were great communicators. And I think a lot of that in the beginning is a mirroring. And it's what musicians do too, right? Like before you have your own style, you're just, you know, you're learning what everyone else is playing and you're, you're just copying it verbatim. And, and I think that's how it starts too with pastoring. You're just regurgitating you're just echoing whatever was handed down to you and and that and that's before you even get to the seminary and i think when you get to seminary it's not just your pastor anymore that's the sole gate of information right like you move into oh like you're in school now so now you have access to many pastors many writers many authors that they were studying as well so i think 
that's when you be, you know, you grow up a bit and you begin to kind of move out of just parroting what's being said to actually having some of your own, you know, thoughts, right? I didn't actually go to, I, I went to seminary very shortly. I went to La Salle to take marketing or something like that. <laughs> and I was also a musician at the time. And, and it was just such a bad time in my life personally that I was like, I was definitely not on a good track. I was drinking daily. And the way that I guess my father figure in the church is like, hey, you know, why don't you just take a pause from La Salle for a while and come to seminary just to see if you like it and just rehab for a bit. So I, I actually went to seminary. It's kind of like, <laughs> you know, uh, it was a great idea. You know, it, it, did, it did what it needed. And then eventually I went back to La Salle. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's what that does. Like you first parrot, you mirror a lot of what you see and then you eventually find, you know, who you are, you know. Right. Yeah. Did you have to graduate or finish seminary school? I, I actually didn't. Most people have that track. Mm-hmm. But I guess I just have, you know, I'm, I'd say maybe the better thing or at least the next best thing is the fact that, I mean, I was a true bred son of the church. I grew up there, you know. Right. Um, and doing practical ministry from the age of 12, you know, like, yeah. So it's not a requirement? No, it's not. Okay. Yeah. I think that was what was unclear. Yeah. Okay. And so tell us about your first public speaking engagement as a pastor. It, so even in youth church, right, they, I was already getting opportunities to speak. And I guess that was kind of organic for me as well, because... I guess I have some kind of a performer gene in me. I don't know. I, I used to like watch Grease, you know, and, and when guests would come over, I used to perform. You know, so, so, so getting up on a stage and then, of course, being a musician. And, and so I've always had some kind of like the stage is easy and then, you know, talking was easy. Yeah, but so I don't know. I can't even really remember like okay. when it was, you know, it's just so long ago and you know, you've, you've done it for 15 years straight, right? So it's like every week you're speaking. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I did know, like, it was a great compliment to hear when you were young as well. Because, like, even if, like, my grammar was wrong, even if, like, you know, they were like, hey, that, that's different from being a communicator. Just getting the grammar right. That, there are people that can speak well and have good grammar, but actually they're not able to communicate well. And they were like, they felt like I had this kind of gift of storytelling and like, you know, that a way to connect. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I think, I, I think that was true to some extent. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's wonderful to hear that you heard it yeah. earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. It was an affirming community. You know? Yeah. So doing it every week, what yeah. was that like for you? Like, how would you decide what to speak about that Sunday? Mm. So at first, you really just spoke about what mattered to you. And then, of course, that runs out rather quickly. (laughs) You're three months in. I'm like, I have nothing to talk about. You know, um, I guess that my philosophy was always about picking up from the community that I had come from was also that it shouldn't just be theological. It had to have some relevance to daily life. right? And then I guess I progressed at some point to coming to terms with the problems that I actually had with church was things like the lack of authenticity Mm. or vulnerability or 
you know, this is the 80s and 90s where the, the predominant communication style was to scream at your, you know, it was, it, was, it was loud. It was a loud church. And it was like, you know, yeah, it was one of those. <laughs> and I found that I, I was really growing tired of that, of people telling me how to live without putting themselves on the line. Okay. Right. So it was, it was heady. It was, there was a shortage of people using their own experiences mm. as, Hey, you know, this is what not to do. <laughs> right? I, I, I failed at this or, or um, so what would they talk about? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Like how would they preach from a, a place of like high authority, mm. like telling you how to live and what to do without any skin in the game. Okay. Felt. And I think, that was the thing that I had spotted early on was you never knew who the preachers were really. Okay. You know, like you, you didn't really get a sense of who they were. And um, I definitely struggled with that. And so when it was my turn, I was like, I'm not going to be that. Like, I think I maybe even overdid it. I think I, uh, I think I overshare a lot of the things. <laughs> uh, but because it comes from a place of, no, like if, if a person comes in the congregation and the auditorium, like if the preacher it has no skin in the game, then you create that dichotomy. There is like someone mm. on the, the pulpit, the pedestal, who is different from me. Right. Right. And then there's like a codependent relationship that <laughs> starts, right? Because preachers, we like to be on the pedestal um, and we'll take the praise. But also the moment you actually fall, the, mo- the moment you show any humanness, there's very little grace for that too. And, and kind of rightfully so, right? Because yeah. you never allowed your, the, the congregation to see yourself as a person, right? And I, that was a weight that I could not, I don't think I could ever bear. So I'm like, I'm just going to put it out on the line. This is what you see, what you get, at least, at least as best as I could. I tried to be as vulnerable as I could, to be honest, that um, you know, I didn't either have the answer for that week, or maybe I talked myself up into a corner that I just, you know, I mean, there are weeks where I feel like telling the conversation, oh, hey guys, like you should just go home now <laughs> because nothing's happening here right now. But I think, you know, I think the people that stayed with us over the years, I think, appreciated that. So, would people react, like reach out to you in private um, you know, about things you said? Yeah, I think. There is a pro and con, right, to being vulnerable because we do live in a culture, I think, where a lot of us, we, we want to be, actually, a lot of us want to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Even those that say, oh, you know, actually, when it comes down to it, you know, like seeking truth is, it can be tiring, you know, and, and, and a lot of times we would rather just, hey, just give me the answer, man. Like, and that was definitely not what I was trying to do, I was trying to have people ask better questions, I think. And if there were no answers that we would just, that would be okay. We would just sit with it, you know? And, and, and of course you give up some of your authority mm-hmm. as a pastor figure and, and not many people opted for that, I think. But, but I made peace with that early on for me to exist with myself. I think I, I there was no way I could do it the other way. Right. Know? When I first met you, you had mentioned these poetry nights yeah. that you were holding for the community. So what was your life like as a pastor? So you had your weekly sermons and ri- yeah. rituals, for uh-huh. lack of a better word, right? And then, uh, but you also had these community building activities. Yeah. Why did you choose that or how did you set that up? Okay, so it, it's this thing 
we ended up calling pub sessions, right? So for years, so you've got like the big thing where, where people come. And, and I think because we do come from Catholic culture, sitting in a mass is organic to, to our culture, mm-hmm. like coming to an auditorium and sitting there. It's getting them to go beyond that to a smaller sitting where they have to be vulnerable and like maybe share some of their stories. So, so hence like why it's only 10% that really kind of like show up for, for prayer meetings and small groups and, and stuff like that. And so that's one of the challenges of every pastor. How do you get people to show up more to these little environments, especially in a situation like a small group where do I really want to share about myself? Mm-hmm. Like, right? Like mm-hmm. not everyone's into that. And it doesn't feel organic anyway, right? Like, because you would do that to your friends. A small group feels kind of like, it's icky. It's like, right? <laughs> Interesting choice of word. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, that's what I felt about it. Okay. So I had a lot of empathy for, for people that weren't showing up, I think, yeah. you know? And so what I did was I said, okay, let's scrap. Because we had tried multiple times. No one, you know, it'll, it'll run for two weeks. And then it just fall out. Like right? a prayer group. Like some kind of like a group where we do Bible studies. And okay. So I said, let's just oh, I'll scrap that. So I just said, hey, I'm going to show up in a bar somewhere in BGC for happy hour, right? And we'll, we'll do one drink, two drinks, one question. And then we'll see who shows up. And that kind of like people were intrigued about that. And we had it in the pub for maybe all of two weeks. And we couldn't have it in a pub because a lot of people showed up. So immediately after two weeks, pub sessions came back to the house, uh-huh. you know, where, okay, they were going to have drinks and food. And then we'll do the, the one question. And then I think that kind of worked for us. I think there's something about the idea of labeling it something that's familiar. Because, mm-hmm. we, you know, when you sit in a pub, you're not facing each other, facing the bartender. The bartender's kind of like the, the priest almost, right? Like, you're, you're confessing in front of this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not, you know, I think, especially with men, I think it's not true that men won't share. I think you put men on the road in a car facing the street, <laughs> you know, they'll share, they'll talk. It's no eye contact. <laughs> it's no eye contact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's what kind of worked for us. And, and then it, it felt kind of organic almost where, oh, there's over food, which is like a component that we had missed out on. Right, like all these years, like drink and food. Yes, how did we miss that? That's communion, right? Like that's it's it's baked into the ritual, and yet we had missed it. That this is about gathering and sharing a meal, and then when you share a meal, then you naturally will share life. And so that's what's kind of where uh, those poetry nights were an evolution of pub sessions, where we would come and drink and, and have a meal, and then you know a bit of wine actually primes you up anyway so that helped eventually coming out of my post pastoring um maybe in the last year i had shifted from more bible study it was never really actually a bible study it was i would use a verse to launch into a question and then so i was already using the bible as poetry Mm. as as a way to launch conversation and i just essentially expanded that to other you know great works of literature who are also talking about spiritual ideas. So it, it will come around. It will come back to the Bible at some point because that's who I am and I'm part of the conversation. But I found that also using song lyrics, mm-hmm. using poetry was also like a good tool. So now that you are in a new phase and a yeah. new place in life, 
what are your thoughts about setting up or kind of creating a sense of, of community here? Huh. I, I think I put that pressure on myself and as well as the people that were watching me move had that, mm. that pressure as well. Like, what's he going to do next? And is he going to put up a church? And I think it is still fresh in the game where I don't want to name what's on the horizon too quickly. And I'm just kind of also just enjoying, you know, not being the leader or the spirit, like just to, to just be part of a conversation where everyone is equal, you know, where no, no one's looking to me for the final word of like, you know, like that's kind of refreshing. And, and I have been in, in tons of conversations in LU where, yeah, you, you're just part of a whole and everyone has a, a, their way to weigh in and make sense of life and spirituality. And I found that really refreshing, you know? So I, I don't know, like, I, I guess I'm wired because of my upbringing is I am asking these questions about what good can I bring, right? I, I, I want to make a contribution. I think that's in me. And I, I am thinking about like, what maybe we should do poetry nights where we, we should do like, you know, maybe we'll try it, uh, but without any agenda to kind of like, Oh, I'm, it'll be a church or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just, I think I'm content for it to be just the poetry night. <laughs> yeah. And, and people will, will weigh in and then they'll take what they need from it. I don't know. So I'm, not, I'm not even sure if, if we need it here, you know, because, because I think the people here seemed already, it seemed like the, those conversations are happening organically anyway. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, this, is there structure needed for it? I'm not sure. I'm willing to offer it though. I'm willing to try. I think you actually already put it quite succinctly in your post, I'm looking for it, about the cathedral is now the waves and the stars yeah. and the, you know. Yeah, the, got sunset, that wrong. the stars, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've had this conversation before where people are drawn, people we have been yeah. meeting have chosen to live here and have yeah. chosen to move here in La Union. So that's without saying anything, yeah. without advertising or marketing or whatnot. I mean, yeah. maybe you see lifestyle, but without blatantly having to, yeah, to evangelize. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just have a taste and you're, you're yeah, hooked. Yeah, absolutely. Have you noticed a certain kind of personality or people who are drawn Don? to being here? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely those who are not content with just conventional, you know, and, and again, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to rag on, you know, whatever works for anyone, you know, and I think a structured church environment, it does good when we do it well, when we're on point and when we're thinking about, you know, what Jesus is like and what he represents, I think that can bring a lot of health to a community and to people. So, you know, it works right for some, but I think, I think the people that are prone to moving here, for one, I think nature is a huge thing for them. Mm -hmm. You know, being connected, being, you know, which is, it was a huge thing for us. And I think they already have like a propensity towards community, like the, uh, want, uh, wanting to connect anyway, right? Yeah. So I think there, there is a bit of a profile. Uh, <laughs> I think that's why you get a lot of artists. Come. Right. You, you have a lot of people come that want to contribute. Uh, they're not just takers. They want to build stuff. They want to make things better. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. any kind of creative person is almost by default a spiritual person because you have to create from somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, to be some, some somewhat self-aware. Right? right. So okay, I'm going uh, to wrap up yeah. with a question, kind of in line with 
the name, the secret sauce and kind of chew yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah. Is why food? Like, how did you end up in La Union, four hours away from Metro Manila, <laughs> from a musician, pastor, yeah. now in the food business? I think those pub session nights uh, had a lot to do with it. Because you know, so it wasn't just a conversation. Food became like an important part of the community. Like, again, like coming from that creative space. I believe that your spirituality is so connected to what you create that it mattered to me that the environment was good. The environment was, was conducive to deep conversation. I'm not, I'm not a small talk guy. Like I, I like getting in. And I think getting people excited about food and then people got excited. All of a sudden they brought their own food that they cooked as well. I can mm-hmm. say it, it, it kind of like just spawned that culture. And it was through that, like, hey, you should really put up a restaurant. Like, you know, you'd be great at hospitality. And, so I think a lot of that also came from church, from that season of pastoring. So it's just kind of feeding people differently. And I do consider it like a spiritual act. Like when I'm there, when I'm cooking, I'm reading that room. Like I'm reading. And what's, what's great about cooking too, as opposed to pastoring, is um, pastoring is an act of faith. You don't really, really know what it produces. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you're hoping that... You know, a sermon that you preach, which I can't even remember half the time the week out. Like, if you're asked, what did you preach? I, I couldn't tell you. So, no, if, if people can't remember my sermons, like, <laughs> I'm not offended. But it is like, it is an act of faith to believe that words that are coming out of my mouth hopefully are inspired by God somehow and that they have the ability to, to help someone. But you never see it. It's rare when you see the direct correlation. With cooking, you know, it's it's immediate feedback, man. Mm-hmm. Like you cook something, you send it up. You can kind of watch. Are they blown away? Do they like it? Or they, they, you know, <laughs> it looks like it sucked to them. I don't know, like you know. But at least you know, <laughs> you know, you're not up at night like pondering like this is matter. You know, like you're like it's immediate feedback. So that that's a change for me. Uh-huh. It's good to be in a space where you know right away if you're you know impacting or not. Yeah. And aside from me, how many other regular customers do you think you have? Uh, I don't know. Like, I think there's maybe like six. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a one is there's a vegan couple that come. Uh, I think they'll eat there twice, twice a week. And that, I think that's for lack of options. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think they're particularly blown away by my food, but they just. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's a few regulars. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I try to limit it to once a week. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, in part of my rotation. Yeah. Okay, so if someone were to ask your wife, Nikki, uh-huh. what's Bebo's secret sauce, what do you think she would say? Oh, I, I don't think I could answer that. <laughs> we've, we've evolved as a couple through the years, you know, um, that's actually a very scary question to ask. <laughs> you know, like I met Nix at the height of my leadership persona. You know, when mm-hmm. I was uh, I was young and cocky and a know-it-all. You know, and then one of the big things about marriage is that it dismantles that, right? Because the person after a while sees you for who you are. I don't know. I want to stay away from that. <laughs> well, what do you think your, your, you know, through line, your secret yeah. sauce would be through, you know, throughout your life? Yeah. I definitely think it is, it is the vulnerability side, I think. I guess as a pastor, you have to be, pers- you know, like you have to put a, pers- uh, you know, a smile on your face mm-hmm. every time, but I'm really not into that. That tires me. Small talk conversations, 
I, I lose energy quickly. So for me, like a good night is a night of philosophy of sitting down and drinking and, and, and sharing life. I hate board games, oh. right? And they're big in church. Like it's like, yeah, yeah but I, you can never get me to one of those. Uh, <laughs> because for me, it's like the sitting down and the drinking and the eating and the, and the connecting. That gives me energy, I think. Right. So as a result, it's also, I think, the vulnerability side of wanting to share who I am mm-hmm. and learning who people are. I think. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Beth. Hey, it's been pleasure. a great conversation. Thank you. One, two, three, four. That was my friend, Bebo Barwani. He moved to a small surf town in the Philippines with his wife and dogs a year before we recorded this podcast. They made a bet on a new life and are currently setting things up to plant some roots. My husband and I are going through a similar transition, and there's a sense of comfort in having people around who are going through the same thing. I hope you enjoyed our chat as much as I did. Hungry for more? Make sure to subscribe to our digest. The link is in the show notes. Chew on This is a production of The Secret Sauce. Your podbud is the technical producer of our show. I'm Danella, your host. Thanks for listening and see you next time.